Welcome to the eLaborate Topics Podcast, where we focus on lab-specific strategies for medical laboratory professionals. We're proud to be the healthcare detectives that work behind the scenes to get the results needed to influence medical decisions. Let's grow together and jump right into the lab. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Elaborate Topics Podcast. I am your host, Lona Small, and a little bit about myself. I'm a QA specialist, and I'm a medical lab professional, coach, and trainer. And Elaborate Topics Podcast is a weekly podcast where my and my co-host, Taiwana Wilson and Stephanie Whitehead, come to bring you topics for you to excel both inside and outside the lab. And today I'm really excited about both my guests and the topic that we're going to talk about. Um, the reason I'm excited about my guest because she's a friend of mine and she's also a co-worker. And she's going to talk to us. We're going to have a conversation on one of my favorite subjects, which is mentorship. So today I have with us Meredith Hurston, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about Meredith. I have a short bio that I'll just read quickly to you before we have Meredith um, on. So Meredith is a native of Flint, Michigan currently residing in Baltimore, Maryland. She's a medical lab scientist by trade who also nurtures her entrepreneurship spirit. So she's a graduate of the University of Michigan Flint and a member of the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Inc. After completing a graduate degree in healthcare administration, Meredith now works at one of the nation's top-rated hospitals as a QA specialist focusing on quality and patient safety. In addition to working in the lab by day, Meredith also owns Morita Essentials. She said, where our dream is to transform your dry skin to help you achieve a gorgeous and glowing complexion through our small batch handcrafted skincare products. So Meredith is both a scientist, and I think she takes that science over into our entrepreneurial journey. So Meredith, I'm so excited to have you today. Hi, Lona. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Okay. So we're going to talk about a little bit about kind of understanding Meredith's journey, and then later on we're going to talk more about mentorship. So I just want Meredith to tell us, tell the listeners about her laboratory journey, how she got to where she is today. So Meredith, tell us how you got to where you are today. So I'm not sure if it's an unusual journey. I I think that it might be um, compared to um, most other clinical lab scientists or med techs, as we called them when I was coming along. But I started as a phlebotomist, I took a phlebotomy class back in 1996, <laughs> and that started my laboratory journey. I ended up getting a job at one of the um, one of the large uh, 
I guess, I don't know what you call it, I'd say industrial testing labs. <laughs> I'll refer to okay. it that way. And they had a nursing home division. So I started um, out working. I would work, go to work at 3.30 in the morning and go draw blood from these nursing home patients. And I did that for about a year, and I was able to get a job in a hospital lab as a phlebotomist because mm-hmm. getting up at 3.30 to be to work at 3.30, it, it was quite the challenge in my early 20s. <laughs> so... Um, From there, when I got the job at the hospital as a phlebotomist, I became a lab assistant after being there for several months. And that's when I kind of learned about um, microbiology and chemistry and all the various aspects of the lab because I was a biology major when I was in undergrad and I was still in school at the time. And I the world of the laboratory was like a whole new world to me. I, I mean, I had had my blood drawn before, but I didn't know the background of what all was involved in testing samples. And so that was a big eye-opener for me, and I got to talking to the medical technologists quite often, and I decided to switch my major and pursue um, medical technology. And I graduated a couple of years after that, and then I had to get an internship um, because in Michigan, they do things a little bit differently than I think they may do them here in Maryland. You have to have your undergraduate degree, and then you can do like a fifth-year internship in order to sit for your boards. And so I did that, and I became a, a med tech back in 2004. And I worked on the bench for a few years. Then I went over into hospital quality, and then I came to Hopkins as a quality specialist or at the time, I was a QA technologist, I think, was the role in patient safety data coordinator, and I've been in that role for quite some time now. I've become a quality specialist since then. My role has, um, I guess, it's been promoted and changed a little bit, but that's how I arrived to where I am today. Wow, interesting. Um, starting out, that the opportunity, we had a discussion a few nights ago on um, Lab OPEX Live. And, you know, different people are talking about just developing um, or staff or team for people who are really interested in trying to grow. But, you know, you came in as a phlebotomist, but you also inquired, you asked about opportunities, and you took it in your hand to switch majors. And, you know, not only you got guidance from someone else, but you also took the onus on making decisions to grow yourself to where you are today. You're a quality specialist. Um, so what- and it's interesting because I was young, and so I was in my, I would say, I was in my early to mid-20s at the time, and I was, mm-hmm. I was just, you know, when it would be slow if there wasn't a whole bunch of work, um, the lab was, it was like a medium-sized lab. It wasn't a really large hospital. I think maybe we were, mm, three or 400 beds, I think. So, mm-hmm. you know, there will be times where we wouldn't be very busy. So I would go to the back and I'm like, well, what y'all doing back here? Like I saw people making perif- what I know to be peripheral smears now, but I'm like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> you know, slide these little, um, you know, microscope slides. I knew they were microscope slides, but I'm like, what are you doing? And so they would talk to me and explain to me what they were doing. I'm like, this is interesting. So that that's how I got into it, just by kind of being curious and asking questions. Right. Right, the curiosity, that's, that's, that's interesting. And um, now I'm going to ask you, I don't know if that's one of your strengths, but um, what are some of the strengths that you feel that's important to your success in your current role? 
I'm a naturally curious person. <laughs> I'm kind of like Inspector Gadget. I don't know if you remember that cartoon show, but mm-hmm. I'm a naturally curious person, and I'm a researcher. Like, if I don't understand something, I'll definitely get on Google to look up and see, you know, what it is and watch mm-hmm. YouTube videos and try to just get a better understanding or find people that I can talk to to understand, you know. So I'm, a, I'm naturally curious, and I, I seek information. So I think that's one of my strengths, and it definitely plays into this role and Mm -hmm. um, the previous quality role that I had because I was a quality management coordinator um, at the hospital level, and I did have pathology as a department, but I also had, like, radiology, pediatrics. Um, I would do some things with core measures, and basically um, one of my responsibilities was quality of care referrals. So if there was questions about the way a patient was being managed, Um, or if a patient had a poor outcome, I would literally, you know, get into the medical record and read the chart and, you know, read the the daily doctor's notes and the nursing notes and things like that to see if the standard of care was being met. So Mm -hmm. that requires like a level of research and curiosity and, you know, pulling things out that you think are important. So that definitely plays a role in what I do today in terms of adverse event. tracking and trending and, you know, investigating. So wow, that's, that's, that's one of my strengths, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's such an important strength in that role, you know. As you talk about investigator gadget, just um, connecting the dots, getting the information, and trying to come up with, like, certain cause for certain patient safety events. It's, like, so important to be able to dig deep and, you know, get to the root cause. So that, that is great. And you've been using that for a while. Um, Definitely. So, since, um, I was in that role since, I guess, 2006, 2006 or seven, I think. Right. <laughs> I remember when I took on that role, you were one of the first person who sent me an email and said, it's going to take you a while to acclimate because, you know, it took me a while to acclimate. So I remember that email. You may not have remembered, <laughs> but you did send me an email and I got that role. <laughs> I'm not sure if I remember, but it's so funny because when I came into the quality management position, one of the prerequisites, um, this was at my old job, one of the prerequisites was either um, to be like a microbiology um, tech or a medical technologist, and there was a couple of other roles that were kind of like um, recommended. And when I got into the role, I did have pathology as one of my departments I was responsible for, but the other aspects of the job were like a brand-new skill set for me. And that was something that one of the ladies that was training me and served as a mentor for me, that was one of the things she told me. She was like, it's going to take you a good year to really learn how to do this job. And I'm not saying that, you know, she's like, I'm not telling you this in a condescending way because I don't think you're capable. She's like, there's so many nuances and things that you need to learn and understand understand and how all of the players work. She's like, it's going to take you that long to kind of really get a good grasp of what this job is and how to best perform in it. So I figured I would share that with you because I've definitely, you know, found that to be true. (laughs) Exactly. And I raise my hat to people who have no prior knowledge, like they're just coming off 
the bench and have to learn all of that. I think I had an advantage because I had an advanced degree in, uh, well, it was like an advanced certification in quality, healthcare quality. So a lot of the concepts, especially at the hospital level, we were taught. So I kind of came in with that, and luckily for my role, well, I, luckily I had that because the person that I took over, I didn't even have a mentor. That person was just gone. I just went into a, like an empty role with no mentor. So I was lucky to have had that kind of background and training. But I can see how difficult it is for people who have no background in um, quality, and that's why for me I do a lot of mentoring in my role for other people on the bench, um, Mm -hmm. trying to expose them at an early um, point to do projects and, you know, get some appearance when it comes to investigating patient safety events and such. Because if it's like a role that's in silo and other people are not aware of it and people are not mentored into it, it definitely will take a while. So I, I definitely agree. <laughs> As you say, using those strengths, you know, so important. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So um, I know you've seen a lot. Um, you've done a lot. You have not only done a lot in healthcare space. As an entrepreneur, you've done a lot of other things. Um, suppose you're a scientific or um, research, you're like always doing something new. So for you, what has success taught you? What has success taught me? So success is relative. Like you have to define, you know, what, success looks like for you because I think it looks different for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. I feel as though I've achieved some level of success, but I'm not exactly where I want to be. So it's a little challenging to answer that question. <laughs> but um, I think success for me kind of looks like being able to um, like get and maintain clients in my own business. I think that's kind of what success looks like for me. Um, On the corporate side of things, it's hard to say, and that's one of the challenges and why I appreciate you all having this podcast because I think in um, laboratory medicine, you can kind of get a little pigeonholed in the career ladder. There's not a lot of opportunity. I don't always feel as though there's a lot of opportunity for growth once you get, mm-hmm. like, to the med tech level because you can kind of step into, you know, lab manager or director and things like that. But there's only – there's, you know, a small number of those positions compared to all of the staff that work in the department. So it's quite competitive. You know, you have to be groomed, and it's very competitive to get into some leadership roles. So I mm-hmm. appreciate that you guys have this podcast to show people, you know, what the career ladder can look like for med tech and other professionals in the laboratory. Yeah, so, so important because I felt challenged at some point myself where I didn't even know what my next move. And to be honest, if I did not step outside of the box, if I didn't go to do my healthcare MBA, 
And I'm so grateful for that because I was able to interact with so many other people in healthcare space. That's looking at the big picture. And the disadvantage sometimes in the lab, as you say, you're pigeonholed and you're just seeing what's in front of you and you're not making that connection to patient outcomes, patient safety, high reliability, you know, all these other things that others are looking at, it's difficult for you to see. For one, you're not exposed. People are not helping you to, like, say, inviting you to the table. Say, for instance, I know you, you go to, like, HEAT, where you look at patient safety events at a hospital level, just having a med tech come one, one week or having them, now that we have comprehensive safety-based unit program where we look at events across the hospital, having different med techs or people just coming into, into those discussions is so important. So for me, being part of a healthcare MBA and working with so many different healthcare professionals and doing projects, I started seen things at a more global level, and I thought that was so important to help others. And that's why, for me, I have some of the programs that I have. Right now, I'm starting this other um, academy where I'm helping everybody at all levels, from, from a phlebotomist to a director, to identify other unique potentials that they have, where they don't feel limited by what you know, either their job description or feel limited based on their socioeconomic because I'm so-and-so, I cannot do so, to identify these unique potential and know that there are so many other options. If I want to do something in project management, I can as part of the lab. I can use those skills. I can use process improvement skills, quality management skills, point of care, LIS, just having people know that the next, you're not stuck because the supervisor is not going to retire in the next 20 years, or you're not stuck because you may not even like uh, leadership, but you feel as if that's the only next level to grow. So, you know, that idea, I think, that if we could start seeing that we can be successful at so many different levels, I can be successful as a med tech, I can be successful doing something else. You know, it's just so important. It's very important, and I think it's challenging, particularly, you know, in the healthcare sector when you work in a hospital, the hospital never closes, it's 24-7, 365. And so when people are on, like, the off shifts, you know, they're working, you know, overnight or evenings, they're not there when the hospital is, quote, unquote, open, you know, for regular business hours. And I, I think people miss out a lot or they, they feel as though they're missing out on a lot of opportunities or maybe they don't even realize all the other aspects of the hospital and healthcare and, and projects they can be involved in and other skill sets that they can learn just from the lack of exposure. So I mm. think that, um, you know, there has to be some sort of um, ambition or awareness or accountability to oneself to kind of say what more is there. And sometimes it can be challenging to find that, and that's where, you know, mentorship comes in um, to be very meaningful. Exactly, exactly. So 
you mentioned mentorship. So do you have a mentor? I don't know if you have many mentors or you have one. I know for sure I saw you on the front page of one of the hospital's um, newsletter about mentorship. So tell us, um, do you have a mentor? And if you do, how has that mentor influenced your professional journey? So I've had a couple mentors. Um, right now, I'm a part of the Vivian Lewis Mentorship Program at Hopkins. It's through the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, and it's a new program. I'm a part of the first cohort, and it was established, I guess, probably last summer, and I happened to catch an email one day. So, you know, of course, we all, everybody in the world knows that the pandemic started around or we went into shutdown, like, in early March of last of 2020. But, um you know, because of that, I'm a part of the um, the emergency management for the Department of Pathology. So we were very busy. Like, we were kind of working around the clock at one point, um, and that kind of did um, curtail, I guess, towards the end of summer. And I just happened to catch an email. I was, like, so I was so um, immersed in what was going on with um, trying to run the, uh, what do we call it, the shoot, the command center for pathology. Um, I wasn't, you know, exactly keeping up with emails because we were on constant conference calls and things like that. But I happened to catch an inside Hopkins email one day, and I was like, I want to apply for this program. It was like this mentorship program. And I want to say it was um, targeted at managerial level people and above, but the contact person for the program was someone that I knew, and I reached out to her and I said, hey, you know, I'm interested in this mentorship program. I'm not at a management level. You know, would I qualify? Is it possible, you know, that I could apply? She's like, oh, sure, you know, go ahead and apply. And I wasn't entirely sure if they would accept me because, like I said, I was not at a managerial level. And ultimately, they did accept me. And so I was paired with a woman who is, uh, she's a vice president of, um, it's not nursing. I should know her role. Oh, shoot, I'm drawing a blank on it. But her name is Melissa Richardson, and she's one of the VPs at Hopkins, and she's over, like, care management, care, care management coordination, I believe is her title. And um, that's who I'm paired with, and she's been excellent so far. It's a one-year mentorship program, and um, there is, it's not a curriculum, but there's, like, guideline for um, the mentor-mentee role, um, you know, relationship. And it's kind of loosely defined, but we meet um, about every two weeks, and she's been very instrumental. Like, I can get on the phone with her, ask her questions, and she's very interested, you know, in, like, what my skill set is and how I can advance my career, whether it's, you know, inside the Department of Pathology or, you know, otherwise. She's very helpful in trying to um, pull out those skill sets that she thinks would, you know, allow me to be marketable and to move into a higher-level position. So it's been a wonderful experience so far. Wow. I'm glad to hear that. Actually, that was the first I heard it. And then I was on a lead forum afterwards, and they were like, you know, they did the first cohort, and they're planning to, I suppose it was very small, maybe almost like a pilot, and they're planning to expand it and everything. And I'm like, great. I mean, we talk so much about mentorship. You know, there's um, some kind of informal, sometimes there's always mentorship going on. But when an institution see that as important and establish a formal program, you know, kudos, you know, because a lot of people are 
scared. They say things like, oh, you cannot groom people. You know, it's going to seem as if you're trying to get them into, the, into a role. You're not, it's not necessarily you're grooming, but people who are interested to grow and they can identify a mentor that they can have a good connection with a mentor, a mentee, and can help each other to grow and, you know, expose them to opportunity, I think that's great. But when people are kind of afraid to do that because they're like, it may seem as if you're grooming them for a position. I've kind of heard that before. So, you know, I've, been, I've done a lot of mentorship in an informal way. Um, people have reached out to me to mentor. I know, of course, we have to make the difference between coaching and mentorship. It's mentorship, you're basically guiding, you know, you answer questions, you use your um, experience or certain hurdles that you've gone through, you can share that. Whereas with coaching, you're allowing the coachee to make decisions based on information that you give to guide, but they make their own decision. With mentorship, it's more about like saying to them, directing them in a more, it's more directive and expo- giving them more, um, oppor- showing them all these different opportunities or hurdles that you've been through before. So as a mentor, more than, more than likely for that specific case that you're mentoring in, you should have at least gone through some of those experiences before to help others. And, you know, for me, I've been in one formal program. Uh, When I was at GW, we had a program called a 2 plus 2, where we mentored um, students in high school, and we had two mentors to two mentees. So they could kind of learn from different, you know, different strengths from each mentor, and we have the opportunity where we can actually mentor two people at the same time. Um, we could take them out. Like you say, there are certain guidelines that, especially for high school students, it's even more strict. You know, you have to go through certain, um, you have to actually go through like a testing. Like a background or check or something like that? Background check, the whole works if you're going to take them out. And, you know, if you're going to go to their sports event and everything, um, unfortunately, it didn't go on for too long because the person who started it left GW. But that was very rewarding, and especially for students coming from low income. But then at the professional level, I think that's so important because people tend to, like, assume that you'll know the next step. And especially for the lab, it's like you're trained to do testing, but you don't know the next step. There's, you know, so we need to have people to help the next step. Like, how do I expose them to the next step? So I think that's, that's just so, so great that they have that at my institution. <laughs> and I think that is, is helpful, you know, like that you are a visionary and, you know, innovative in that way, because I have been in settings and situations in the laboratory and outside of the laboratory where people did not have a spirit of wanting to mentor me and um, they actually wanted to hinder me or keep me stagnant. And um, that that presents its own set of challenges. So, mm-hmm. you know, 
mentoring is absolutely a blessing, but it's also like a mindset issue. Like those in leadership have to have the mindset that they want to um, Mm -hmm. help people, you know, to bring people along where they are to kind of show them the ropes and to lead and guide them. And not never, and everyone is, does not have that mindset. So um, it's a blessing for people to have that mindset. And it says something Mm -hmm. about, you know, your character and people that are like-minded, it says something about their character because there are people that, that don't care and, and want to hinder you and keep you stagnant because it's good for the business bottom line. If I can keep, you know, a person in this FTE doing this job and not having any higher ambitions, then I don't have to worry about, you know, them moving along and me having to replace them. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's such a kind of limiting um, or maybe scarcity mindset and you're so right. Um, I think um, Taiwana, one of my co-hosts, did another podcast, not through elaborate topics on mentorship, and she said that's kind of one of the first traits that you should have as a mentor is that willingness to help, and you just have, you just have that spot on because if they're not willing to help, even if you have a program, they're gonna people who don't want others to grow could try to sabotage it because uh, with that kind of scarcity mindset, people are afraid that if you learn what I have, you may take my job. And, you know, I remember when I started in this position, I have an older gentleman I would talk to. He's kind of like a mentor. But, of course, you have to choose, listen to what you accept certain things and then throw other things out. And he's like, you're telling them everything that you know. (laughs) He's like, before you know it, they're just going to take what you have. (laughs) But I'm like, it's not like you want to empower people on your team. You want to feel proud that your people are growing. And I just would not accept what he was telling me. That's probably an old school kind of thing where mm-hmm. you tell them everything, <laughs> they'll take your job. Like, no, I, I, when I took that job, people were like, oh, she's trying to get other people to do her job. People were banging on the door to do projects. People wanted to grow. They wanted to learn. And I was like, come on in. Let's do this. You want to do this project? I'll show you how to do this. And that was so different. It was like a whole different culture. People were like, why is she asking? Other people were like so happy that they were able to learn how to investigate heroes, learn how to work on um, data, I mean, I taught them a lot of skills on data analysis. People were taking on projects for so many different things, auditors, and they felt so good about themselves. And so I'm thinking if you want to keep your people, teach them. Teach them how to do different things. Allow them to grow, and that's how you keep them. You think you're keeping them in that one spot. They'll find a way to get away because people really want to grow. They do want to grow, and I think that, you know, the tide has, has shifted a little bit, you know, and it, it could be, like, with the generations. Um, like, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm not sure what generation you're in, but, you know, so there's, like, the baby boomers ahead of us, a little bit older, mm-hmm. and then the millennials, you know, are behind my generation. And I feel like my generation and below, we are different from the baby boomer generation and beyond in that, we're not getting out of high school and going to work in a factory or a job for 30 years and then retire. That kind Mm -hmm. of changed 
with mm-hmm. our um, generation and with the millennial generation, it seems like when you look at the statistics, I think they stay with an employer like no more than seven years. But um, I, I saw a stat, I want to say, I can't remember where, I, I'll have to go back and try to find it if you want to cite it with the podcast. But I feel like millennials kind of change employers like every two years. It's like they're moving around. They're looking for this, you know, the mystical work-life balance. <laughs> and I think, you know, with MedTech, um, depending on where you go and the age of the workforce, it could be a long time. Like a lot, it's kind of typical when you come into a lab scientist job that you come in on third shift and, you know, you work the hours that nobody really wants to work. You work overnight, you work the weekends and things like that. And when you are interested like in work-life balance for your family or just, you know, for your own lifestyle, the way you want to live, maybe, you know, working day shift nine to five or eight to four or whatever works better for you. So people are interested in learning to do other things to, um, to more be more in line with their work-life balance. So I agree with you. And I think that people are moving away from that factory mentality or, you know, work third shift for 30 years and, and be happy. They want to do something else. You're so, so right. And I may be one of those weird, um, baby boomers. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I see things totally, you know, it's all about empowering, especially if you know you've been there, you know, you want to help others. So, you know, it's all about empowering. So, um, you know, we talk about it like for, you know, I know from for the hospital level there's a mentorship program so with that and your experience in that program, would you recommend a formal mentorship program for medical lab professionals? I do because I think that we don't always know what we don't know. So you don't know the, the career ladder or the upper, other opportunities that are available to you. So um, I think we touched on some of them earlier, like you could work for a lab information system or you could move over into quality or um, epidemiology. There are so many other things that you could do with a medical technology or clinical lab science degree. I always get tripped up on what they call it now, and I feel like it's still in transition where people call it different things. But, you know, Mm -hmm. you have a Bachelor of Lab Science, I think there's, you know, various paths that you can take, and it's not just going from the bench to manager to director. There's other things you can do. That's kind of the traditional path that we think Mm -hmm. of, and that can feel very limiting because, like you said, Mm -hmm. people get into those roles, like directors are in roles for, like, 10-plus years, it seems like. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the opportunity um, to move into that comes few and far between. So there are other avenues that you can take to advance your career. So I definitely think there is room and we should have formal mentorship programs. And I almost wonder if it should be institution-specific or more um, career-like specific, like if it could be something through the ASCP or ASCLS, I think that might be helpful because sometimes um, there might not be enough maybe mentees or, I'm sorry, mentors in the institution mm-hmm. for, you know, all of the mentees that may be interested in, in some sort of formal mentoring relationship. Wow, great. And uh, you touch about the ACP. So the ACP does have a program. So for our listeners who are listening in who want to be mentors, 
I think this is the period, hopefully I don't think the deadline, this is kind of the period where people are submitting um, requests or application to join different um, boards. And I think for people who want to be mentored, um, they should check it out, and then mentees should check it out. Um, you know, my question, I was thinking more on the hospital level, but I think that's a great point, Meredith, at the association level. And I think ACP, I've actually been part of a mentorship during their, um, their um, national conference. They, they even had a section for mentors, so I volunteer and I mentored quite a few people who signed up during the few days of the conference, so I was a mentor. But then throughout the year, if you want to be a mentor, you can, um, you know, check it out with ACP and be a mentor or be, me be mentored as a mentee, so that's a great point there. Um, I'm not sure. And that's good to know. I didn't realize that um, ASCP had a mentorship program, so that's good to know. But also, I think at the institution level, I definitely think that all hospitals should have mentorship programs. And I don't know that it should be limited by, like, an application process. I almost feel like everybody that wants a mentor should be able to have one, and I know I'm probably expecting way too much. But <laughs> I just think that um, – you know, that's that's a good benefit to offer your employees is, like, a mentorship program. And it, can, it doesn't have to be anything, like, super strict and stringent, but just if you have an opportunity to meet with someone, you know, once a month or, you know, even via email, ask them a couple of questions or, you know, get advice and guidance from them, I think, um, would be helpful in terms of um, – career progression questions or just like with my mentor, like sometimes I'll ask her simple questions like, hey, I have this challenge or this problem. How do you think I should communicate this? Or how do you think I should pose this question or phrase this, you know, thing to, you know, get the, the response that I need or to let people know this is what I need from them? We've had basic conversations like that mm -hmm. because, and I think that was one of the things that we talked about in the article that was on the, the Hopkins Insider, is that I, I think she's very eloquent and diplomatic, and that's not a skill set that is strong for me. That's not one of my strengths. <laughs> you could have been. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess like I in, um, in difficult situations. Mm -hmm. That's not one of my strengths, like, to be diplomatic. I think that's uh, – um, and she okay. told me, she was like, you know, this is something that I've learned from years of experience, you know, mm -hmm. how, to, how to talk to people, you know, um, in conflict or um, in sticky situations, like how you navigate mm -hmm. that. Because that's, that's one of my challenges. Like, sometimes I want to say stuff, and I'm like, I know, Meredith, you know you can't say that. And it's like, how mm -hmm. do I say this, you know, in the right way <laughs> and still mm -hmm. keep my little job? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, sounds great. So I'm not sure if you have any tips in case, say, for instance, my lab. I've heard a lot of discussion about starting a mentorship program, but I think it's kind of in the back burner, some kind of, you know, I'm not sure what tools they have in place who, you know, it's through our education department, and, you know, there's a lot of discussion with the directors, and I'm not sure who they're having to help. But if you can think of any tips um, or that you could give to anyone listening who are thinking of 
starting a mentorship program, is there anything that you have learned through your experience that you'd want to suggest to help them with that? One of the things I would suggest is coming up with um, a loosely defined program. So in the Vivian Lewis mentorship program, it's through the Learning and Organizational Development Office, so I think which is a part of the Diversity Inclusion Office or I don't know if it's a part of the office or if they're working together on this particular project, but it's a hospital initiative um, targeted at minority employees to the goal of it is to help bring um, more qualified minority candidates and um, to mentor some, you know, minority candidates to get them into positions of leadership across the board on all levels of leadership. Um, around the institution. So that's kind of one of the goals of the Vivian Lewis program. But mm -hmm. as, as a result of, you know, their aims, they do have, like, a prescribed program. So they work on um, communication, like being an expert in your field. Like, they kind of talk about what the role of a mentor is and what the role of a mentee is. Um, and they establish, you know, that you should have, like, communication with your mentor at least once a month and that it should be driven by the mentee, like they should kind of um, be guiding, you know, reaching out for guidance and things like that, kind of let them um, guide the interaction. So mm -hmm. I think having some ground rules for what the mentorship process looks like and maybe have it be like six months or 12 months. This particular program I'm in is 12 months. So I would suggest like getting started with maybe six to 12 months and having like some defined goals, um, and like resume review. So basically like under the mentor can understand who the mentee is, like what their skill set is, what their interests are, what they may, you know, what roles they may be good at moving into um, and introducing them because a big part of my mentor relationship is um, she's introducing me to other people in the organization that I don't know, like if I have questions, one of the things I'm interested in is data analytics. So she has mm -hmm. introduced me to um, one of her managers that's responsible for the quality data for Hopkins. And, mm -hmm. you know, that has gotten off to a good start. So just, um, like I said, that, that mindset of being willing to help people is kind of like foundational in terms of the, the mentor, the mentors that are selected, but having them go through some sort of training so that they understand the goals of the program and how they should be interacting with their mentee is what I would say. Yeah, that's very, very helpful. So I think that if we need any help, we know who to call. Well, I'm not sure where <laughs> they are with this, but, um, you know, we'll see. But that's very helpful, Meredith. And this discussion is really helpful. I'm really happy we have this, and I'm sure that the guests gained a lot from listening to you. So what if they wanted to keep connected with you and learn more about you and, you know, probably ask more questions? I know we have the opportunity to ask questions on our website, but if they wanted to directly connect with you, how could our guests connect with you? So I'm on Twitter. That's a good way to connect with me. It's my full name, at Meredith Hurston on Twitter. My Twitter is open, so you can direct message me there. Or you can email me. Um, my email is Meredith at msquaredhealth.com, and I can send you an email. 
so that you can list that, I guess, maybe in the show notes for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you so much, Meredith. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for listening to another episode of Elaborate Topics. And if you want, you can email us at our um, website, which is directimpactbroadcasting.com. Um, you can actually watch or listen to the show on directimpactbroadcasting.com or any of your podcast platforms that you listen to your podcast. And uh, I said email us. Email us at elaboratetopics at directimpactbroadcasting.com. So I made a correction to that. And so we're really excited. Hope you have a great week. And we're looking forward to have you listening to us or on our show next week. And if you have any topics that you'd want us to talk about, you can send us those topics in an email. Or if you want to be guests on our podcast, you can also email us. And Meredith, thank you so much for passing by and sharing your nuggets with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Okay, guys, talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Elaborate Topics, where your hosts discussed relevant strategies for laboratory professionals. Please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and listen to us on directimpactbroadcasting.com. Stay tuned for another episode with information you can use to excel in your laboratory career.